Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brew Church Podcast. My name is Fabian. I am your host, and I'm glad that you are listening. If you would, please hit the plus button on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on Spotify as a way to help more people find this audio content. This audio is recordings from our Sunday gatherings. And if you would like to support what happens here on this podcast or in the Brew Church community in general, there's a giving button in the description of this. Uh, We hope that this is helpful for you and that you gain some good tools to lead to a life of abundance. Enjoy. Today we're beginning a three-week series all about joy, which feels appropriate uh, because we're nearing the end of the winter season. What, actually, what did the groundhog do? Like, did it see its shadow? What, what, what's going on here? Like this, did, did it see its shadow? Yeah. yeah. Oh, dang it. Okay, never mind. Yeah, I know. It's so scientific. <laughs> so uh, who cares what the groundhog said? We're in the season where depression is usually really high. So why not talk about joy, right? Uh, yeah, it's a great time to talk about joy. But also joy is generally good. Like joy is something that we wish we could have more of. And I think it's something that we deserve to experience. So what does it look like to have more joy in life? How can we experience it? And is it achievable? I don't really like that word, and maybe you'll understand why in a little bit, but is it achievable? Well, according to uh, this person, you might know of him, the Dalai Lama, um, it's super simple. Super simple. All you have to do is train your mind. That's it. Cool. All right. We're good. See ya. <laughs> That's it. Just train your mind. So this 87-year-old Buddhist monk has seen a lot of life. Um, he's gone through some stuff. He had a pretty average life. At age two, he was identified as the 14th incarnation of the Dalai Lama. At age four, he was ripped away from his family and moved into a palace, and then things really went downhill. At age 15, he was thrust into the role of leadership of an entire country. What were you doing at age 15? I was working at McDonald's and playing video games. (laughs) I was not the leader of an entire country. But the reason he was forced into this role was because, if you know know, a little bit of history, Tibet was being invaded by China. So his very first task as the leader of Tibet at age 15 was to negotiate with an invading army. How do you do that? Like, how do you navigate that? It's similar to what's happening right now in Ukraine. And eventually China invaded. And it's estimated that hundreds of thousands of people died. So imagine at age 15 being thrust into a negotiating role and being unsuccessful and then watching as thousands of people die. He was then forced to go into exile, leaving his own home country, while all the people that he was supposed to lead were left living under someone else's rule. And he's been in exile to this day. And he has probably one of the biggest groups of enemies that one person can have, the entire country of China. 
this man has seen the worst of humanity. And none of us would blame him for having a pessimistic view of the world, for not really believing that happiness and joy are possible, for complaining about how much life sucks. No one would blame him. And yet, he talks about happiness and joy all the time. He's written two books on the subject, and he apparently, people that have met him, say that he lives with this internal sense of abundant joy. Many people say that he's like a big kid. When they meet with him, he'll like wag people's noses or tug on their hair and just do the stupidest things. Like, who knows why? And he brings laughter into his conversations. And in a 90-minute interview, uh, he told Time that we 7 billion human beings emotionally, mentally, physically are the same. Everyone wants a joyful life. Joy is his thing. So whenever he says happiness can be achieved through training the mind, I don't think that it's toxic positivity. Just ignore all the problems and choose to be happy. Choose joy. I think it comes from a deeper wisdom. And it's a similar wisdom to what the author of the letter to the Philippians seems to be saying when they wrote, I've learned how to be content in any circumstance. I know the experience of being in need and having more than enough. I've learned the secret to being content in any and every circumstance, whether full or hungry or whether having plenty or being poor. I can endure all things through the power of the one who gives me strength. Contentment and joy are intrinsically connected. And contentment seems to be connected to gratitude as well. But notice how the writer says, I've learned. And the Dalai Lama says, you can train your mind. There seems to be a wisdom that transcends both of these thoughts. That it's something that you can cultivate. That it's something that takes a little bit of work. And then you can experience this deep and profound joy. And I think part of that work is rewiring the belief that joy is found outside of us. In his book, Awareness, Anthony DeMello wrote this, when we were young, we were programmed to unhappiness. They taught us that in order to be happy, you need money, success, a good-looking partner, a good job, friendship, spirituality, you name it. And unless you get these things, you're not going to be happy. Once you get convinced of that and it gets into our subconscious, it gets stamped into the roots of our being. That's some powerful language. Like the idea that this message that maybe isn't spoken directly, but it's spoken through whether it's cultural expectations, whether it's expectations within our family, whatever it is, it's this message that gets deep-rooted in our hearts that to be happy means to have something outside of us to tell us to be happy. To be happy is to achieve certain milestones, that our life has to look a certain way, I call this uh, 
I might have stolen this from somebody else, but I'm going to pretend as if it's mine because I think it's a really cool word or series of words. The theology of the marketplace says if you buy this product, if you have this experience, if you take this trip, if you look like this, if you achieve this level of success, then you will finally be happy. Then you will have joy, and that can create moments of enjoyment, but it doesn't ever really bring that deep sense of joy because it's a losing game. Our joy is not contingent on maintaining a system that benefits a few. Our joy is not contingent on maintaining a system that benefits a few. And I don't know about you, but I'm done playing the game. I'm done playing this game where to be happy, I have to do all these things. And what I'm actually doing is just making somebody else more wealthy. I'm done. (laughs) And just to be honest here, because this is a place where we... uh, are open and honest about how church can sometimes do things that are hurtful, church sometimes plays the game too, right? It keeps people hooked on its version of doing church instead of teaching people to see joy all around. There's a reason why here at Brew Church we break out into discussion groups because I'm not the only one that sees joy. In fact, some of you might see joy more than I do or might experience it more than I do. And that's the beauty of learning from each other at the tables because it's this mentality that you don't have to always listen to one person or one group of people to have that thing called joy, that at some point you learn to find it within. And I think that's what the Bible talks a lot about, the God within every one of us. I think that's what scripture is talking about, the power of the one who gives me strength. That's a God that works internally. Joy isn't something that you find in the marketplace. You can't just buy joy. It's not something that we can force. There's no five easy steps. It's not something that we can even really define. We're talking about it for three weeks, and honestly, I can't really give you like a succinct definition of this is joy. Um, It's just a thing. We experience it. It develops within us. We cultivate it. And I think there can be helpful practices that rewire that message that happiness and joy are found outside of us. But I would say that it probably doesn't happen right away. And sometimes we don't even know when it's actually happening. It just ends up happening and we see it and we're like, oh, there it is. There is the joy thing that I've been looking for and working through. In the book of joy, the first pillar that the Dalai Lama and Bishop Tutu talk about when seeking to cultivate joy is the importance of perception. The Dalai Lama said, a healthy perspective is really the foundation of joy and happiness because the way we see the world is the way we experience the world. Changing the way we see the world in turn changes the way we feel and the way we act, which changes the world itself. That's connected, I think, to this term used in psychology called locus of control. Um, any psych, you know, therapy people, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, Krista, when I was reading this to her in the car because we were driving back from St. Louis, was like, oh, cool, you're using that term. <laughs> um, I was proud of myself because she was proud of me. Uh, joy. <laughs> 
It's the degree to which we believe that either we or external forces have control over the outcome of any given situation. And this is some research that has been done around this. People that have a more internal locus of control that are able to identify what things they can control in any given situation are generally happier. And there's nothing wrong with either one. It's not like one is bad or the other, just terms to define things. Because sometimes in some cases, there are things outside of our control and there are things within our control. And so the real important thing is being able to differentiate between the two and to understand that the thing that we do have within our control is our well being and how we feel about the situation, or as the Dalai Lama says, our perspective on any given situation. Auschwitz survivor and the author of Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl, said it this way, our perspective toward life is our final and ultimate freedom. The perspective we take on any given situation matters. So when a situation is robbing us of joy and bringing us anguish, the Dalai Lama suggests to think about it from multiple angles, to have what he calls a wider perspective. Because from one perspective, the story that we tell might be negative or it might leave us feeling stuck, like we don't really have a choice. And notice the locus of control. When we think that a situation is making us feel a certain way, we're saying that the control is outside of us rather than reframing it and thinking, how do I feel about the things that are happening? That's an internal locus of control because the things that are happening are outside of me. They don't make me feel any way. And then when you do that separation, it's just a little separation of language. When you do that separation, then you can say, I'm not going to participate in those things that I don't feel great about. And I am going to participate in the things that do bring me joy and life and goodness. We can choose not to engage. Another perspective can completely change how we feel about the situation. It can even be an act of resistance. And I want to say this, like some people, I don't know what you might be thinking right now, but some of you might be like, but Fabian, we can't just all be joyful because there are bad things in the world and we have to change those bad things. I think that joy and fighting against injustice are mutually connected because having joy doesn't mean settling. Having joy doesn't mean that we don't do anything. I think it actually helps us because joy is an act of resistance. Going back to our joy isn't contingent on participating in a system that benefits a few. When we say, you know what? I'm going to be joyful. I'm going to choose to be joyful, and I don't care what message you tell me. I don't need a whopper to be joyful. I'm going to play with the song and have fun with it because that's what brings me joy. Thank you, Burger King, for bringing us joy with a wonderful song that you've created. <laughs> this is a practice. It's a practice that cultivates joy over time. It's not something that happens immediately. I think that it's something that we do bit by bit, and eventually we start to see the difference. Um, we start to notice when our mind is running wild with narratives that aren't helpful, and we pause, 
and we start to ask questions like, is that actually true? Is that actually what's happening? Or could I interpret it a different way? And one ca what can I let go of? And what can I control? And I will admit, this is something that I don't do well. Um, sometimes watching sports stuff, um, it's really hard to not, you know, go down the negative rabbit hole of this is not going to go well, especially last week. Um, that was stressful. <laughs> um, it's hard not to let those insidious narratives run wild in our minds, but through some combination for me of therapy, meditative practices, really helpful people, I've slowly but surely have seen the change. And it's not there all the time, but I've noticed it. Like, for example, um, going over to my parents' house used to be super anxiety-producing for a variety of reasons, uh, one of which I'll share. My mom's a hoarder. Um, not just of things, but of birds. So there's, like, bird shit everywhere. <laughs> and, and there's the things. So there's a bunch of birds and there's things, and it, it's just, it just gets stressful. Um, I know that there's things going on, but it can get really stressful. And so it's hard for me to not go over to my parents' house and just, like, want to throw things away. Like, it's like part of me is just like, can we just get rent one of those massive dumpsters the size of the house and just throw stuff into it? Like, we just got to get rid of stuff. But I've learned... <laughs> to let go of the things I can't control and choose to embrace the things that are good, to be present to the joy that is in front of me. A few days ago, I went over there. Um, my mom had made some food, and she was like, hey, come over. She does this all the time. She, she wants to see me, I think, but her way of having me come over to see me is, hey, I made food for you. Great for me, because I get food. So, um, But I went over there. And I noticed myself getting anxious and having all these starts starting to run wild in my mind. And it was just one little moment. I paused and I was like, you know what? I can't control that or this or that. And so I'm just going to let it go. And I let it go. And then for the next 45 minutes, my mom and I just had a wonderful time. We laughed, like just joked about all kinds of things. I finished my food, I gave her a hug, and I went home and I felt full and content. And it wasn't this magical thing that just happened. It was all these years of meditation and letting go and processing some of these things that bring me anguish that led to that one moment. And I've had it in other places too, so it's not like that's the only moment, but it was this reminder that it's happening that is working, that that joy muscle is starting to work. It's something that we build, that grows. And maybe we can't always see the progress until we have those little moments like I did going over to my parents' house, this little moment where we reframe the situation and we all of a sudden feel different about it. We all of a sudden feel more at peace or more content or a sense of gratitude. And you know, we think to ourselves, this is what I'm going to focus on, or this is what I'm going to do. This is what I can control. And we come out of it feeling different than we have in the past. So I don't think this 87-year-old decrepit um, man is wrong when he says we can train our mind for joy. Thank you for listening to this episode. Peace and blessings, everyone. <laughs>